Welcome to the podcast edition of Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Anne Hill, and every week I explore topics related to dreams, sleep, health, culture, and consciousness. Dream Talk Radio airs every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific Time on KOWS 107.3 FM in Occidental, California. And you can catch the live stream at www.kows.fm. To find out more about Dream Talk Radio, visit my website at anhill.org. That's A-N-N-E-H-I-L-L dot org. Meanwhile, I hope you enjoy this edition of Dream Talk Radio. Well, Mimi, welcome to Dream Talk Radio. I'm so glad you could join me today. And uh, we should maybe tell people who are listening that um, I was actually on your show on Tuesday down in Marin, and we had a a call-in show on dreams. Mm -hmm. And that was so much fun. We decided to continue and have you come on to my show. And so uh, sort of returning the favor, hands across the airwaves and all that sort of thing. Right. So uh, you... Let's see, your show that I was on is Questing Where's the Path. Yeah, it could be Questing Where is the Path? Where the heck did I put that? (laughs) (laughs) Because what, you know, in my my life I've realized that so many people are on looking for the path and there's a wonderful, uh, uh, oh, poem, you might say, passage by Gandhi that he says, I know the path that is straight and narrow. It is like the edge of a sword. I uh, rejoice when I walk on it. I weep when I slip. Oof. And, I, and that whole idea of the being on a path, because I, there's not the path, there's a path. Yes. But, which, where is mine, I think, is really the question there. Boy, and that, you know, walking on the edge of the sword, that doesn't sound very comfortable. Well, you know, I guess if you're doing it like a feather... Uh, you are enjoying it, but if you slip is when the ouch happens. Yeah. <laughs> you have to have really good leather on your shoes, too. Yes, yeah, right, or be very light-footed. And be very light-footed. <laughs> have a lot of balloons tied to your arms. <laughs> so, Questing Where is the Path, how did that show start? Well, it started originally quite a few years ago when uh, the program director one one day called me and said, you know, the woman is supposed to do the interview this afternoon or this morning, tomorrow morning, excuse me, a little early morning fog here, uh, is ill and she's not going to be able to do it. And I just wondered if you might be available to interview this person. It was an author. uh, And... I said, oh, well, yeah, you know. She said, well, I figure with your experience as a therapist and talking to people and doing workshops, et cetera, that, you know, you could, you know, it doesn't matter if you've read the book or not. And so I did. I did the interview. And uh, as it turns out, in a couple of weeks, a woman who normally did it moved or something happened in her life. She wasn't going to be available anymore. And so then I was asked to do it. So... I had, uh, and it was every, every second and fourth Tuesdays. Uh, so she, I had to come up with a name, and for many, for about eight or nine years with someone else, I I led vision quests mm-hmm. into Death Valley and the and the Mojave Desert on a quest, the idea of questing, you know, wilderness trips. Right. And so I wanted to work that word in the title, and that's how it came. That's mm-hmm. how I started doing interviews, and that's how the title 
how we got to that place because I certainly don't have the answer. Yes. And I uh, I just interview like you. I interview people like you and, and maybe people who've, you know, written books, poets, and uh, how do I, you know, Buddhists and a kung fu master once who was visiting from China and um, just, you know, anyone that's kind of walking yeah. that walk, you might say. So you get to present a lot of different paths, a little, a lot of different possibilities to people. Right, and and I interviewed a woman who was fairly new to this town named Jane Mickelson, who uh, is a mythologist. Oh. And we got to talking one day, and she told me this is what she did, and or what she was, or what she was finishing, or she was finishing her her graduate work in. And and so I said, well, would you come on the show sometime? I think it would be fun to talk, you know. So she did, and. Uh, and then I had her on. We felt we hadn't finished, so a couple of weeks later she came again. And then I asked her if she would co-host with me because I I think it can make it more interesting sometimes yeah. to have a different viewpoint than just mine when we're inter- when interviewing somebody. And also we every once in a while we just have a program where we pick a special topic and talk about it. One week we had a woman on who had written a book about archetypes, uh, new archetypes that she had made up. And, oh, wow. and then, so the next week, uh, the next time we were on, Jane and I talked about archetypes and what that word means and normally what most people think it means and some Jungian, you know, blah, blah, blah. That kind of right. Thing. So that's kind of what we do. Interesting. Well, so are you a Jungian-trained psychotherapist? No, or? I'm not. Okay. Uh, I went to. I did my graduate work at the California Institute of Integral Studies yeah. in San Francisco. Right. And when I was there, we had kind of a, a an agree. The, the institute had an agreement with uh, the Jungian Institute that we graduate students could come to seminars that they gave there, and uh, you know, as auditors, so to speak. Yeah. And so I was fortunate in that I got to go to a lot of seminars at the Union Institute, and uh, we had someone actually who had attended the Union Institute on the staff who taught a class in dream work. Mm-hmm. So that, and that, of course, piqued an interest in me, and I, I found, found Jung, you know, very, very, um, I don't know, freeing, I might think, yeah. I might say, and, and interesting and opened a lot of doors so I, I still read go back and read Jung's work I'm going on uh, Sunday out here and Belina says in Commonweal there's a man speaking I don't have the paper in front of me about Jung's red book he's written a book called the red book which is oh, a yes. journal of Jung's that he wrote when he was having a lot of personal angst over yes. his split with Freud so, oh, that's interesting. So somebody has written a book about the Red Book and is speaking on the subject in yes, Bellinus. who has read it. You yes. know, obviously it was available to be read. Right. So. I've, I've seen a copy of it. It's an amazing book. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, so I'm very interested in that one. I would, I would describe it as towering. Towering, <laughs> I would think so. <laughs> I remember seeing once an interview with Jung by the BBC and... and the BBC announcer, this was quite a lot, you know, it was, it was very kind of rudimentary kind of interviewing because yeah. it was, of course, with Jung. And uh, he asked him something about, well, how, you know, as a Jungian, da 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 da, you know, and, and Jung said, well, actually, I'm, I'm not a Jungian. Yes, that's I'm, right. I'm Jung, and I'm very glad I'm not a Jungian. <laughs> oh, yes, that is so true. 
always I thought, oh, that's a point. What a wonderful point. Well, you know, because you when you if you're the visionary or the person who sets down this whole new way of thinking, that's very freeing and it's very creative and it's very you know there's a lot of energy in that. But then for the followers of students, there's always this grinding question of whether to stick to orthodoxy and the the written word as this genius person has written it down or whether to branch out and, and add to, you know, mess around with, kind of have your own different view. And it's very, I mean, uh, Jungians... Well, that's what he said in this interview. He yeah. said he hoped, he said his work wasn't finished. It wouldn't be finished, you know, because he saw it as a stepping stone. Yeah. And he would hope people would see it as that and uh, have it be a stepping stone to more exploration and, and uh, finding out things. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the interesting things is that there's, there's such a, a strict rule about uh, psychiatrists, therapists, seeing people, you know, in a certain setting at a, yes. certain, and a certain length of time. And, you know, that's very important, supposedly, you know, to the whole therapeutic right. process. Whereas, you know, Jung had people come and live at his house. As did Freud. Those sound like some boundary issues. <laughs> you know, so very, very, very different. You know, he well, yeah. he saw people where he was, and for however long he felt it was necessary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, so he's the one that got me started on dream work. <laughs> okay, and so then, so you were at CIIS, mm-hmm. uh, and you got hooked on Freud. I'm not sorry, not Freud on Jung and dream work. Just the idea of dream work. Where oh. where did you go from there? How did you learn more about working with dreams? Well, I, I of course, had to do, you know, an internship, and I did that, but uh, then I decided I wanted to start a dream group because I missed very much the fact that we had such a, a group that grew out of our class yeah. at the Institute. And so I started a dream group, in actually, in Stinson Beach in, I don't know, I think it was 1974. Oh, wow. And uh, so... Then we just started, that's how I started, doing work with other people, you know, with the dream work in a group. And also uh, with clients that I saw, I would ask people to bring in dreams. And if they had a particular dream that upset them, i.e. nightmares. Yes, right. uh, Or a reoccurring dream or one that really stuck with them, you know, um, or a dream that seemed very empowering to them at the moment when mm-hmm. they woke up, you know, particularly bring those dreams in yeah. uh, for my clients. And in the dream class, we just met weekly and would read our dreams and often did active imagination with them. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, sort of the same thing I, I understand that you do is that we would look at the dream. If I had that dream, what did it evoke in me? Yeah. So that's really how I got started with dream work. Well, it sounds like you were right in there if you were talking about the 70s when people were just kind of doing, you know, taking it on and seeing what happened. Right. You know, the whole grassroots dream work movement. Exactly, yeah. And, it, you know, and then I've just continued since then. Yeah. Um, and in the 90s, I spent a lot of time in Europe, particularly England and Switzerland, Germany, France, and Italy, uh, doing workshops and of, of dream work and also those tied in I, I call the, the workshops were called dreams vision and sacred time mm-hmm. uh, because I was 
also became quite a follower of James Hillman and, oh, yes. and the whole idea that we've taken psyche out of psychology. Yes. That, you know, it's become analytical, but we forget that there's, to me, let's say, the soul or the spirit of the person, it's, you know, whatever word you want to use, kind yes. of the authentic essence. Um, and it has some kind of a... I guess I have to say mystical quality, mm-hmm. you know, whether you um, whether you don't have to say there is a certain kind of being out there that is doing this. You know, the whole idea of synchronicity and, yes. and the magic of that. So I did that during the 90s. I was, would spend about through the 90s up until the 97. Um, I spent quite a few months every year over there. Wow. Which was a lot of fun. Oh, sounds like a blast. Yeah. You're listening to Dream Talk Radio here on COWS. I'm talking with Mimi Calpestri, who is a programmer down at KWMR in West Marin. Mimi uh, is the host of Questing Where's the Path, which is, is it every other Tuesday? It's every second, every fourth, second. and now fifth Tuesday. Second, So we're just not fifth. there on the first and third, but re- two, four, five, that's it. Okay. I mean, well, there's that's very few. Nice. There's three, I think, three or four, fifth Tuesdays this year, but... Yes. Second and fourth. All kinds of interesting people on the show, and uh, one thing, uh, it's interesting to hear that you are, you were a student of James Hillman. I think his stuff is brilliant. Um, Oh, yeah. Particularly, I was really struck, uh, one of the the books of his that I read... uh, was it The Force of Character? Oh, it was The Force of Character. One yeah. of those books. The one where he talks about uh, the acorn theory, yes. sort of so Plato. It's, oh, it's magnificent. It's brilliant. The, it the idea that we are, you know, we come into being as little children, little babies, with all of our, as little acorns, and uh-huh. all of the imprinting of the oak is within the acorn. Right. And that sometimes you can see that. In, and he cites those yeah. cases. You see that in, in a child that has, you know, wants to, leans towards, has a talent towards, um, or, or, or a, a passion for some particular way of being. That's right. Uh, and he cites, of course, some famous musicians and um, yeah, Judy Garland and etc. But that, you know, that's probably true in all of us. And, and yeah. often, a lot of people that I talk to talk about some kind of longing that they have, um, you know, like, I want to find myself, I think, that's, I don't know, I'm longing, you know, mm-hmm. I'm longing for something, and so often I think it has to do, and, and with James Hillman, you know, acorn thing, yeah. I really think it's, you know, finding out what kind of seed am I, yes, and allowing, right. that, allowing that to be there. I think it was the soul's code, I think... I think that was the book that I was thinking of where he really lays out that uh-huh. that whole uh, theory. And it's interesting, too, because he yeah he was a student of Jung's. Oh, he was, yes, and he was the director of the Institute of for the, a while. Yes, and, and he really has sort of gone into, done his own work. Oh, the this, Jungians are yeah. curious about him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, he stopped seeing individuals. He, d- he said he was only going to work in groups. Because we're social animals, oh, yeah. and he stopped having regular timed appointments. And Interesting. You know, would meet people in, you know, family groups or friends groups, or you know, he did a lot of 
I started doing a lot of small seminars. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, can you really be labeled a heretic if your teacher was a heretic? I mean, what is I that? hope so. <laughs> <laughs> because Jung was quite there. I mean, some people still frown on Jung, so you never know. Um, so, uh, the one thing that I really like about this acorn theory of Hillman's is I think about it every time I hear a child's dream. And oh. Jung talked about child's dreams too, just the, how they encompass everything. Mm-hmm. I just find that there's so much power and depth and, you know, all, it's like the blueprint of all of the questions this child will ask himself or herself through life. Mm-hmm. They're right there in those early dreams. It's really amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also Dream Animals. Yes. Have you read his book, yes. Dream Animals? Beautiful book. Yeah. And um, he, he was at a bookstore down here in Marin, East Marin, and I went to see that, and and I was uh, lucky to have some time to talk to him afterwards. Mm-hmm. And you know, to me, I said it's such a shift from when I first met him, and mm-hmm. you know, took did some work with him, and you know, and he was saying, "Thank you. You couldn't have said anything nicer." <laughs> You know that I'm growing. I'm still growing. You know, yes. I'm still learning because the whole con- one of his concepts there is the dream animal is there, not just as, as a helper for you if you want to look at it, maybe in more of a Native American way or, yeah. or you know, indigenous person way. That here comes the animal. This is my totem, or mm-hmm. this animal has this kind of carries this kind of energy, and therefore right. it's going to help me with this. But the animal is asking for your help too. What can you do for the animal? What can you do for that animal? Both the one in the dreams and the real animal. So he's kind of, I mean, he takes a real sort of a shamanic bent there. He has definitely taken that bent. Yeah. Yeah. So it's no longer, okay, if I have a dog in my dream, that that means the qualities of loyalty uh-huh. and, you know, some sort of, you know, psychologizing the animal, bringing it to the level of a symbol rather than right. actually seeing the dog as a being. Right. And, and as we, you know, you and I talked about the other day, finding out, too, all about that particular animal, yeah. not dogs in general. But that animal, maybe that dog isn't loyal. Mm-hmm. Maybe, right. you know, is it? You know, really um, taking time to spend, you know, he said you can spend months with an animal and you don't just have, okay, well, now, you know, dreamt about a dog and therefore, but really, you know, incorporating that animal in everything you do. It's tricky. It is. I mean, the thing about it is that uh, I feel that if I could really work with my dreams fully as I would want to. Uh, and then, of course, there's other things like I have to take a walk every day, yes, you know, right. and I have to feed the animals here, and I have to uh, do some writing, and, and because that involves writing when you're working with your dreams often, yes. journal work and that sort of thing. And I also do Tai Chi, well, I'd have to do that. You know, that mm-hmm. takes a certain amount of time. And then there's, you know... I don't have time for anything else. Someone yeah. else has to go to the store and cook the meals, you know. And or work. Mow the lawn and, yeah, yeah write the checks. <laughs> and it's just too bad we don't have that space to do this because what we're talking about here is is an incredible part of our life that yes. we can only give 
a small time to. And that was one of the things about in the 90s when I was going, because I was, I was there about six months a year, that I had all that time. Mm -hmm. to, and I was immersed in doing that, not, not only doing the workshops, but then having the time to have the, you know, work with the dreams, draw the dream down, you know, dialogue with the dream, muse yeah. on the dream, uh, pretend, you know, spend the day as a character in the dream, and, and all those things that we don't really have time for now. Well, it's true. I mean, I find myself looking, I, I, I'm carrying dreams from several different points in my life, and at every juncture, there's something that resonates with one of those dream images from long ago. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, and, and I keep finding, I keep having more ahas about these dreams. And, you know, I really, I really lean on my dreams a lot because, you know, this is a really complex world. And if you don't have some kind of compass that's pretty firm and you, you don't quite know how to respond or what, where to go next, but dreams are really that kind of reliable thing. You know, if I think about the journeys I've taken or the quests, if you will, that I've taken in my dreams uh -huh. and the things that showed up along the path, whether they're animals or, or people or, or objects, you know, I can really use that as a way to, you know, constantly recenter myself right. through yeah. life. So I agree. They just, it never ends really with a dream. One thing we uh, do in the dream, I still have a dream group now and we're all have, we're only four of us now. It, it, you know, yeah. we've gotten down, but uh, we've been meeting for almost 20 years, and we've taken a couple of short breaks, like a summer vacation break, you know, but we've been meeting all the time. So you can imagine, we know each other pretty yes. well, our dream life, and we don't see each other that often. We, you know, we don't socialize that strongly out, outside the dream class, mm -hmm. but there's that deep knowing of each yes. other. And someone will come in, and I've certainly done it too, I'll tell a dream, and then someone says, oh, you know, I remember, you had a, you were dreaming about buses a lot, remember, it was about five or six years ago, yeah. and it's, you know, this whole thing that there's someone that knows me, and yeah. knows my dreams, and I, that's why I think dream groups are, are so incredibly helpful. I couldn't agree more. So we have that, you know feedback that comes from long-term knowing yeah. him. And when I was going to Europe, I would come back often to the same group that I had mm -hmm. been, you know, I did would often do weekend workshops, and then they, we would form the dream group. I would come back to dream groups that were still going on, and there's one there that's been going ever since 1993. Wow. And uh, still meeting, and every once in a while I'll get a, a now an email from, you know, one of the members or there's a so tell me so and so moved to this and this place, but she wants to start a dream group there. And so uh, once you kind of get hooked <laughs> or realize how they enrich your life, um, I think it's a, a great asset in one's life. It really is. Yeah, 1993. My dream group started in '93, and and we're still going. Uh huh. You know, there's seven of us, and four of us were original members of the group. Yeah. So it's it's a wonderful a wonderful thing. And when we were talking about you know incorporating the dream in your life and walking with it and stuff, one of the things that we do and and we do when uh, occasionally we will have someone bring a friend. Mm -hmm. 
someone asks, you know, wants to bring someone, and that person may stay for a while, and then, you know, maybe a year or so, and, and then not be coming anymore. But one of the things we often do is say, well, when you're at home, you have this dream, you know, and, I, and I'm going to use that dream you and I talked about of, yeah. the, of the man on the car right. on a bad road, rather than saying I'm, I'm driving along this road, but I think my friend told me to go this way, but I think I'm getting lost. We, we could say, once upon a time, there was a man, and his friend had told him the road to take to get to where he wanted. But when he started out on this road, it was okay. But then as he drove, little things started happening that scared him. Mm-hmm. And there was a little slide he had to drive around, and then down the side of the mountain, and up a road, another one. And it was a very narrow road, and the man realized if another car came along, he, he couldn't turn around, and he didn't see how he could back up because it was very curvy. A whole new essence comes out yes. if you do this once upon a time thing. Have you done that? You know, I have not done that. Take a dream and turn it into a fairy tale or a fable, basically. Mm-hmm. Once upon a time yeah. are the magic words to start it. And yeah. people tell the most wonderful stories about their dreams. And so do they sometimes just continue the dreams on to a different ending? or? Well, they can. If it ends, in, you know, like this one ended where I'm headed towards this wilderness and I'm scared, I'm nervous, yeah. I don't know what to do. Off, you know, unresolved dreams, then they can say, so I decided to just keep going down the road and trust my friend because he's, I know he's lived here a long time and he knows this area and he's also a good friend. He wouldn't send me the wrong way. Yes. And they're not really adding anything to the dream, but it kind of fleshes it out. Yes. And, uh, and might say, and then the road begins to go down and actually widens. And, oh, I'm so relieved. Yeah. And I get to, and so I get down to the bottom, and when I get there, there's this beautiful meadow. And standing there, you know. Yes, right. Because the story, once you start telling a story, often you don't, you don't know where you're going with it. And I know a lot of writers who write this way. Sometimes it just appears in your mind. It's, oh, there it is. There's mm-hmm. someone standing there waiting for me. Well, that sounds like a really easy way to bring people into a, a dream re-entry situation. Mm-hmm. Sometimes mm-hmm. that seems a little woo-woo for people. You're like, dream re-entry? What am I have to like go into? Are you going to hypnotize me? Right, or You know, yeah. that sort of thing. Fall asleep, you know. Yeah, exactly. So there's this whole trust issue. I mean, of course, there you know, life mm-hmm. is trust issues, but <laughs> right. But with dreams, if you can just sort of go into and the... everybody loves a story. Yes, it's very interesting to watch a person that's telling the story, as well as the people that are listening. How people when the, the people that are listening kind of settle back a little. Oh, I'm going to hear a story. Yeah, and. Um, it's not, and the person that's telling it, they become, as they tell it, they become more and more animated. And now I got to the bottom, and guess what? There was someone. I mean, they can, it begins to have a drama there. Mm-hmm. So it's bringing up feelings, and um, it comes much more alive than reading a dream. Yes. Or even telling it. What, what I have people do is they don't get to read their dreams, they got to tell me their uh-huh. dreams. You know, rather than, I can say, you can look at it, but just tell me the dream, Uh rather than get into just reading it. Right. 
because that, I think, distances us a bit from a dream. You know, I think you're right. And let me let me just pause and say that you are listening to Dream Talk Radio here on Cows. Uh, this is Ann Hill, your host. I am Ann Hill, rather, and I'm talking with Mimi Calpestri, who is the host of Questing: Where Is the Path? Down on KWMR in West Marin. We're talking about dreams, of course. And so, I think it's fascinating, Mimi, that you're saying that you have people tell your dreams because you know there's this whole issue in dream work about what was the actual dream and people can kind of you can kind of get hung up on the literalness like what was the what was the original dream and uh there's a whole problem exactly exactly how was the dream exactly how was the dream and that's not actually the point of the dream i mean because it's a dream it doesn't really exist in written language you know we're already translating it once when we write it down Mm -hmm. but what you're saying is you don't even you don't like people to read what they've written so much as to tell the story so i want them to write it down just as i do because otherwise you will forget yeah but you heard the dream the other day when I read it. Yes. With, I brought it with with me from someone to read to mm-hmm. you, and, and how and now you heard me tell it as a story. Right. Now I said this really basically the same thing, didn't I? Basically the same thing, yeah. But it was different because yeah. it was a story. Yeah. You know. Now in telling the story, <clears throat> I'm <clears throat> excuse me. I'm visualizing it in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I'm the one that saw the road go down and a meadow and a person standing there. Yeah. I mean, just now when I was talking to you, because yes. I'm in the story, and right. that's where the story went. Right. Now, I don't know where the man's dream is going to go, but um, you can't help once you start telling a story like that once upon a time. Then anything is mm-hmm. anything is possible. For those of you listening, we're talking about a dream that uh, Mimi and I talked about on her show on Tuesday, which was a dream, we may as well say the dream, or maybe I'll say my version of the dream. Now, All right. Which was, this is a, a man in his 50s, <coughs> and uh, this dream, okay, so, well, I'm not going to do the once upon a time, but I'll say it as, as as though it were my dream. So I'm a man in my 50s, and I dream that I'm, t- I'm talking to a good friend, and I'm leaving, and I have to go somewhere uh and and I don't know the way, and so he tells me, and I trust my friend, and so I get into my truck, and it's bright middle of the day, and I'm in the desert, and I'm thinking this road is going to drop me out into this city, which is where I want to go, and instead, I'm driving along the road, and it starts winding through the hills, and there's sort of a cliff on one side, and every so often, the, there's kind of a slippage on the hill, so the, the road gets a little narrower, and it gets windy, and I'm starting to enter this wilderness, and I'm kind of, I'm starting to doubt whether my friend was actually giving me the right directions, and I'm starting to worry, because I don't have enough water. I did, I'm not prepared for a long journey in the desert here. I, I was assuming that this road was just going to lead me straight to where I wanted to go. And that's when I wake up in the dream. Right. So yeah. that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, though, the man said a car. Oh, I thought he said a truck. No, well, okay. there you go. There's my dream. Our little minds pop up it's with stuff. It's <laughs> true. Well, you know, one of the things that I like to do, and, um, is when somebody's telling me a dream and we're working under dream and they're telling me the dream, I don't write it down. No. Because I find that if I start writing down, oh, this is an important word or, oh, this no, is I a central either. image, I get lost and I lose the narrative. I don't either, ever. Yeah. I often will just 
you know, we also have a thing where we don't look at each other when we tell dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't look each other in the eye. Mm-hmm. We look, you know, we look down or over or up or yeah. someplace uh, so that there's not, we don't get any feet, any, we don't, we don't have to present to someone who's looking at us, yeah. nor do we have to uh, hold our reactions, you know, go by what someone's reacting to. Yes. Too. So that's another little yeah. little thing about, you know, trying to keep the dream as just in that dream place as right. much as possible. So, for instance, when I was telling you that dream on Tuesday, I didn't have to worry about how you were going to take it mm-hmm. at all because I was reading someone else's dream. Right. And kind of the same thing happens when we don't look at each other when we tell the dream. We, we find ourselves much more in the dream and not worried about re- with reactions to it. All because people do, even though we try not to. We're mm-hmm. so used to watching the face to see what to watch the reaction. Yeah. So um, anyway, that's a that's well a fun he, thing to do. So here's a question for you: How do you work with the situation where? Somebody's told a dream, and then the you know group is talking about it. And say you have a really strong intuition, since I know you're a raging intuitive. You have a really strong intuition right. <laughs> about what this dream could mean. And uh, how, first of all, how do you present that information? And second of all, what do you do if the person rejects it as a possibility? Well, you know, <laughs> usually uh, I will say comment. Like, like you do, I will say that's it's an amazing dream, and I see it's very scary. Let's say it's a nightmare; mm-hmm. it's very scary. Or if not, I'll say it's you know it's an amazing dream, and and there's a lot of powerful stuff in there, isn't there? Mm-hmm. And the person will usually say, "Yeah," you know. I said, "Well, uh, is there one favorite place, that, mm-hmm. something that particularly grabs you in the, that that whole dream?" Uh, for instance, if I were the man, I might say the fact that there was part of the road seemed to be crumbling away. Yeah. That was that was what frightened me, or you know, was part of. Mm-hmm. The, that's what kind of got me. Am I going to get there before the road falls away? Mm-hmm. And then we might sort of take off from there, um, and then when we sort of explore that, I might say, well part that really grabbed me was that um, your friend, your good trusted friend told you to go this way and uh, you were more interested in, in you know, getting to where you wanted to go than, than saying, well, he told me to go this way and I can just enjoy and look around and see what's here. I'm just making mm-hmm. this up, yeah. you know, because actually one of the parts that grabbed me was the crumbling road. Oh, right. <laughs> so, um, and the person, oh, yeah, well, you know, I do that a lot. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I miss a lot because yes. I'm so busy thinking about how to, I have to get to where I'm going that I don't even look around and enjoy. Because now that you say that, and then, you know, it was a beautiful spot, and I could see a long way. It was on the side of a hill, and I could look down in a valley, and there were no houses around. It was all natural. You know, they may say yeah. something like that. So... First off, I, I asked them, you know, the, their what spot seemed to have the most 
charge for them. Mm-hmm. And often they will ask me what spot has the most charge. And, or I might say, you know, and then if we talk about it a lot and, and we, and they seemed kind of closed off from obvious thing, I might say, well, what, do you have any sense about what was so important about you getting home or mm-hmm. getting to the next place? If I feel like there's too much focus on that or not enough focus, I will just ask them a question. Yeah. What was your sense of it in the dream of this? You know, was it more anxious about the road going to give out or that you wouldn't get to where you wanted to go? Yeah. Both of those are very important. But, you know, and then that makes a difference as well. I was afraid I'd, I'd miss getting to where I wanted to go. Or I was afraid the road would give out before, and then I would be in peril. Right. See? So those are two very different things. Yes. Yeah. Very different things. Yeah. So you, it sounds like you you basically follow the person's lead. Yes. Yeah. Because you know, it's their dream. It's their dream, yeah. And if I have a strong sense because I know the person, then I know they're incredibly goal-oriented, yeah. and they can't seem to enjoy the life that they have which is quite good and there's a lot of good things happening and they're missing seeing them you know i might try to lead towards that but if that's not what this dream says to them then i'm not going to push that that's mm-hmm. my observation right you know but i am going to ask some questions why you know and in the dream class people will follow my lead the other people in this dream class will follow my lead uh, often, and you know, one person might say, "Well, you know, so and so, this is like other dreams you've had. I remember you've had other dreams like this, where you know you were in a beautiful place, or you were at a party. Remember that one? You were at a party, but you couldn't enjoy it because you weren't sure how you were going to, you know, get home or something like that. So you've had other dreams like this, and I might say that too. Yeah. Uh, so often." In the, that's one of the nice things about a dream group is, I mean, I, I can remember a lot of people's dreams when we're in the dream group, as, so, as do the other members. Mm-hmm. And so then the person that has a dream went, oh, yeah, I, that's right. I always seem to be, you know, I'm not in here. That was a good, I remember that dream. That was a great party, you know. Or, yeah, I, it was a beautiful spot. Yeah. And I, I was so you know, anxious just to get there. I'm, you know, I'm afraid I won't get there, so if I get there, then it means I got there, and I don't have to be afraid anymore, right. you know. So there's, there's a lot in that, in, the, in people's feedback, too. Yes. So one of the things that I that is interesting me now about dreams, um, kind of sort of danced around it a bit in the past. I mean, I've, I've talked to a lot of people um, you know, a lot of psychologists, a lot of spiritual advisors about dreams, and usually the kind of interpretations that that we pose or that, that come to us, both as dreamers and also as people helping other people with their dreams, are this kind of, of what you're describing, like, yeah, I do that all the time. I never just enjoy myself. I'm always so driven. Or, or uh, insights of that nature that are sort yes. of personal, mm-hmm. either psychological or that have some kind of behavioral aspect to them in our lives. One of the things that I'm wondering about now, and partly because I um, met this gentleman from Senegal, and he was actually on the show last week, 
is how differently dreams are viewed in other cultures. Oh, yes. You know. <laughs> yes, so you so you sounds like you know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, yes, I I worked for a while with a, a man from Ghana. Uh-huh. And was a healer, incredible, incredible healer. And um we actually did some work work together, work workshop kind of thing together. But we talked a lot about dreams driving back and forth to yes. these workshops. And just very different. Very different. Yeah. Sometimes very literal. Yes. Taken totally literally, you know. Almost prescriptive. Yeah. That means I need to do X. Yes, right. Yeah. Or if I need to, if I'm in this village and I need to get to the next village, don't go the road my friend tells me. Right. Because right. it'll be dangerous. Yeah. And I might not, especially if, you know, if you wake up and you're not home, then I, if I wake up, I, you know, I won't get there. Mm-hmm. Or I'll be in danger, you know. Yes. So, literally, then they won't take the road that they're told to take. Right. <laughs> and, I mean, I'm, I'm giving kind of a simplistic example, but very much so. And and they really have much more of a sense, or he did, and... and and the area and the people that he knew and the way he was raised in his village was much more of um, uh, this, this, there's different kinds of dreams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a dream that's telling me what to do or not to do. There are dreams that where um, a spirit, we might call it a spirit guide, you know, someone from the spirit world comes and is, either threatening me or is here to help me and and that then you have to go see someone to help you with that right or you know it might be a visit from someone they come as a dog but i know it was really my grandfather and he, you know right therefore i have to do you know i have to go to my grand the altar where my grandfather mm-hmm. is or the grave where my grandfather is and do certain ceremonies because I'm, he came to tell me I wasn't paying enough attention or something like that. It was very interesting. Yes. Did you find that, that, that those kind of interpretations were true for your dreams? Did you find you were dreaming in that way when you were working with him? Well, it is interesting how you tend to do that, because I was certainly willing to look at my dreams that way, you know, try to look at them more, you know, and talk to him, too, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it was fun because then he would tell me his dreams, you know, and he was interested in what I was going to say. Yes. And um, so, and like this friend of mine uh, was taking a, a class at, uh, or going to a seminar at uh, the Union Institute, and there was a series, I think, three or four. This was a few years ago, and she she called me. She says, well, now I'm having Jungian dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Now that I'm at the seminar. Oh, Christ, another archetype. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, something I've always been interested in and I've read about, but certainly am not, have, don't have real deep hands-on knowledge of is the Aborigines of Australia yeah. and the Dreamtime. Yes. The whole thing, you know, just incredible. And being who I am... You know, I've only read about it. I've never talked to an yeah. Aborigine about yeah. it. And, uh, you know, when again, it's like when you write a dream down, it's very different. Yes. 
even at the best meaning people and all these explanations of of how it does. I mean, mm. I think it does happen. I think it happens in a way that's just, uh, again, here's another teacher I worked with, which was a Navajo shaman, and he had spent a long time in, in Australia, I mean, mm. two or three years with the Aborigines. And he said, there's no way I can, I can talk about what happened, not because I'm forbidden to talk about, but... It's a kind of a, a shift that happens, mm-hmm. and, and he said, "You see it happen, and you know, one minute they're there, and then one minute they're not there, and it's like you can't believe you say no. They've just, you know, I wasn't paying attention, or you yeah. know, too much smoke from the fire, right. something happening. You know, he said it's just it's it's hard to explain. Well, you can't explain it." It's true. I think there's a way in which we don't have the words, the speech right. to explain what happens. When he finished his work with them, um, he felt he was finished, you know, with his work with them. And so he was going to leave. And his main teacher was a grandmother, um, or, you know, very old woman, which yeah. is the same idea of honoring the old, and, you know, they're called grandmothers, mm-hmm. grandfathers. Um, as a title of reverence, and but she was a very old woman, and and he, um, for for instance, one of the things he learned from them is he learned how to work with fire. I mean, he can reach into a fire and take a, a stone out or a piece of wood out, wow. and and he never burns his hands. Yeah, never. I mean, they don't. You know, they, their hands, you know, look like anyone else's. They're not hard and tough or anything. He has nice soft hands, right. you know. Hmm. You shake his hand, and here's this nice, gentle person. He's a very gentle person. It was time for him to leave, um, and he said, "Well, you know, they did all the ceremonies and stuff." And she said, "Now, I'm going to give you a day's head start, hmm. and if you make it to such and such a point, then you can leave. But if we catch you before you get there, we will kill you." Jesus. Then y'all know you act. If you can do that, then you have, you really are taking the lessons you have. You know, and if you don't know, you can't leave. That wasn't on the on the tour itinerary. No, I didn't make it. So he obviously made it because he told me the yeah. story. But he said it was quite an experience I'll because bet. he said, you know, those song lines do exist, uh-huh. and you have to know how to follow them if you're gonna get through, otherwise right. the land itself stops you. That is, so that's, I mean, that's not just a visit. No. That is an ordeal. Oh, yeah. 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 Ah, fascinating. So, you, you're listening to Dream Talk Radio. I'm, I'm Anne Hill talking with Mimi Calpestri about dreaming. And uh, we ended up in uh, the outback. Right, <laughs> the dream time place. The dream time place. Where better to end up in? Um, you know, and I just want to say that unlike you, I don't have a web page, but, you know, if anyone wants to contact me oh, for yes. any reason, they could certainly send me some email. Great. I don't have a lot of time just to chat with people, but mm-hmm. if, you know, someone, you know, really is serious and wants to talk about it uh, or make an, you know, see me or find out when and if I'm going to do the, my next workshop, they could uh, write me on my email. Great. And you want to give that the email That's, address? Uh, yes. Yeah, I can give that. That's M. Calpestri. 
I will spell Calpestri. M is in Mimi and then Calpestri all together. C-A-L-P is in Paul, E-S-T-R-I at gmail.com. mcalpestri at gmail.com. Yeah. Great. Thank you for reminding me about that. You know, one of the things that, that occurs to me as I'm, I'm listening to your stories about uh, dreams in different cultures is how, you know, in the West, of course, we've sort of come from a more of a psychological point of view, but I come across a lot of people just here in the area in California and other places that, that do have that, that sense that their dreams are literally like uh, stop signs and turn signals. And, uh-huh. you know, they're very directional in orientation with their dreams. And, and they, uh, to the degree that people, that these, you know, they follow the, what their dream directions are, you know, that's, they feel like that's, I'm on the path if I'm following in a very literal sense. And it reminds me of um, another Jungian, Robert Johnson, his oh, yes. book, Inner Work, which, you know, they they use in dream classes all over at Sonoma State in psychology classes. You'll read that that book, Inner Work. And one of the things that really struck me when I read that was that he says that's the final thing that you do with the dream is you do some ritual, you do some concrete enactment, uh-huh. either an acknowledgement or some sort of action that comes from the dream itself. And it seems like it almost is like the West is sort of meeting the rest of the world kind of in the middle in that sense of we're trying to relearn how to act literally, uh, you know, concretely from our dreams. Uh-huh. Right, right. What are they bringing to us? Yeah. Just what would you say they are bringing to this man whose dream we're discussing today? Uh, the gentleman with the, uh, the car with road. the car. Yeah, you know, I mean, if I were if I were looking at this through the lens of the sort of inner work thing, I would actually the first thing I would do is I would probably put a little charm in my car, either a little like a, a Boy Scout compass or a Girl Scout compass, something to remind me when I'm in my car driving that I have some inner guidance. You know, some like a visual reminder of the dream, or maybe uh, just a piece of rock from the desert, uh-huh. just to remind me that in some in some sense this is where I am. I'm in the I'm in the desert right now. Uh-huh. I'm not exactly sure where I am, but right. it'll it'll be a visual cue for bringing on that dream state. Uh-huh. Yeah, that often I think that's such a great thing yeah. to have have something. Physical, because we are physical beings. Or, you know, uh, the other thing is that if in the dream I'm worried that I'm not really prepared for this, what could be a really long and complicated thing, particularly if I'm in the desert and I don't have water, I would actually literally make sure that I always carry a water bottle in my car. Well, it's funny because that's what I was going to say. I would say, you know, I'd start having a water bottle and I might... I might, you know, get myself some maps Yeah. of places where I usually drive, <clears throat> and I know pretty well, but I don't really have a map to some of them. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> if I'm coming from here, driving from Bolinas, where I live, and let's say I'm going to go to Eureka, well, I know 
kind of how to get there, right. obviously. North. <laughs> but maybe I should get him, you know, like mm-hmm. he kind of knew how to get there, sort yeah. of. Just go on the road, you know. Yeah. But it might be helpful to get a map and say, oh, you know, I could go this way. It looks shorter than that way. So maybe I might get some maps. That's a great suggestion. I in the car to remind me that, yes, I can ask my friend, but maybe I need to get a map and be more self yeah. self-responsible. And not just kind of go, oh, you know, me right. raging intuitive. Oh, well, I know how to get to Eureka. <laughs> I can go, you know. Yeah, because you never know when you might have to go some other direction. And then, exactly. Then you're, then you're lost. And if I were keeping dreams in a dream journal, I might actually, because uh, I always collage the cover of my journals, and it's ba- the collage imagery is based on things that have been going on in my dream life. You know, symbols or just things that are really resonant for me. And I would put a map. I would put some some part of a map and paste it on my journal cover. You know, there's a woman in, in, the, in our dream group that a few years ago, she, you know, we started doing that. And she came to the dream class one night. And she said, I decided, you know, when I have these dreams, if I can find, you know, a picture, da-da-da, I'm going to start putting it in my dream journal, not mm. just drawing it but actually getting some pictures, and we all went, oh, yeah, what a great idea. <laughs> and so she started the, the rest of us doing that. Oh, really? You're all doing that? So That's we do that, too. If we, you know, something comes up and really strikes us, yeah. then we will do that. And so a dream like that one where I have, for this man, I haven't gotten there, and so it's not just like, oh, I had a dream about a wolf, so now I have pictures in my wolf, you know, right. and the wolf told me where to go. That's nice. But to have, like you say, a map, because I'm not sure where I'm going. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And this is when I, every time I look at the, I go through my dream journal, oh, there's this now. And then as you move on, as the dreams come forth, it, and often this is the other thing about keeping dreams that we haven't said, that man could have a dream about not knowing where he's going. And then he could have a dream about, um, I'm moving into a new house, and but my furniture hasn't gotten there yet. Mm-hmm. But I'm really happy. I like the space in the house. And I'm, I figure, oh, well, you know, oh, look, I didn't notice this room. There's a room that has a bed in it. So I can just, my furniture will be here in a few days. And it's a totally different, you're not on a road, da 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 right. But to see that, hello, you got someplace. That's right. You got actually home. You got into a new place, and but you're okay with it. And it's not quite together yet, but it, you are confident the furniture's coming. That's right. And you even discovered a, a room that you didn't know was there, which often happens to people in dreams, in house dreams. And there was a bed for you, you know. And that's one of the things that's wonderful about keeping a dream journal. Yes is you recognize that even though my conscious mind, Mr. Ego up here, who wants to have everything tied up in a neat little box, right. you know, um, doesn't quite get it, but at a deeper level, I'm actually doing something. Yes. I'm actually moving along. So That's so true. And dreams, some, you know, we tend to think, because we're sort of do, we're oriented towards doing, we tend to think that dreams mean that we need to do something about X, Y, or Z. Well, sometimes you can't. And sometimes it's something that's going on. You know, yeah. it's just happening. 
and we're being asked to notice what is already in the works, what is already happening in our lives. Right. We have to look back and realize that where we were, we are no more, and we are here, but we're not sure where here is, and that's okay. (laughs) And ultimately, you know, any map that we may have thought that we started life out on is rendered useless at some point, so it's never good to totally rely on maps. (laughs) Right. It's all kind of, it's all improv at a certain point. Yes, you know, (laughs) it is, and and, and, you know, the truth of the matter is that there really is only now. Yes. And we, you know, we don't have to know everything. You know, we don't know what, I don't, let me put it that way, I don't know what every cell in my body is doing right now mm-hmm. or exactly what my spleen is up to, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, my stomach is telling me it's getting a little hungry because I didn't eat breakfast yet, but you know, I just trust that it's doing its thing. Yes. You know, whatever that thing is, I hope it's working, and I do the best to keep it working. That's but, right. And I, you know, the psyche to me has the same, it has a life there that goes on while this conscious self that's talking on the phone and doing other things um, isn't totally unaware that there's this underground river that is moving. Mm-hmm. That's right. Dreams just are working in the background constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're getting up to the top of the hour. I want to thank you so much, Mimi Calpestri from KWMR and Questing, Where is the Path? Um, if you have more questions or, or uh, comments for Mimi, you can email her at mcalpestri at gmail.com. That's M-C-A-L-P-E-S-T-R-I at gmail.com. And you can catch her show every second, fourth, and fifth Tuesday on KWMR in Marin at uh, from 11 to 12. Is that right? It's from 11 to 12. And it's on the web at kwmr.org. That's right. Yeah. Ah. Thank you, Anne. I've enjoyed this conversation very much. Likewise. I'm so glad we could do that. Let's do it again sometime. Excellent idea. All right. I will talk to you soon. All right. All bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Oh, that was a very nice conversation to start out the morning with. You have been listening to Dream Talk Radio. I'm Ann Hill, and now I'm about to take off and uh, bring some more music your way until the next programmer comes in to our beautiful new studio here in downtown Occidental. This is KOWS LP, Occidental 107.3 FM, or streaming on cows.fm. If you would like to support community radio, please go to our website at www.kows.fm and find out where to become a sponsor, a member, or just a friendly donator. And that would be much appreciated by all of us who are bringing you fresh and original and interesting to us at least, programming every week. Uh, You can find out more about my show at dreamtalkradio.net. Also, if you are on the Facebook machine, I do, uh, Dream Talk Radio has a little page there. So if you want to get fresh updates on who's going to be on the show, what's happening, and all that sort of thing, you can uh, find out more about the show on Facebook too. That ends this week's Dream Talk Radio Show podcast. Thanks for listening, and remember to tune in every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. at www.kows.fm. This is Ann Hill, and I'll see you again next week.